What gives you the right? Well, I am a ticking time bomb of fury. This can't be happening, man. This isn't happening. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? So stop melting, ladies, because the boy is hotter than hot. I'm the best chance you've got. Maybe. We'll see. Okay. Okay. So, this episode, the main thing that got me thinking about this was with my new job in Benbrook, <clears throat> I'm driving an hour to and from work, which now is only every two days. You know, it's four days and then... At most, it's every two days. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it is a solid hour on the road... A whole hour? It's not that bad. It's not that bad. But and I'm I'm doing, you know, the speed limit the majority of the time, which is like typically seventy, seventy five. I'm on that stretch. And I started like looking at the guardrails and I've always loved guardrails just because of their um it's almost you know how modern art takes everyday things and puts them frames them in a way that then makes them look like art. You know that whole concept. Wouldn't that be postmodernism? Uh, that would be. Is that post? That is postmodernism. Okay, as soon as you yeah, said that, right. I was like, "Crap, modernism and postmodernism." I'm pretty sure that's postmodernism. Need to get Aaron back on the show. <laughs> yeah, I know. Talk about it. Um, but I've always loved the guardrails for that factor. I've always loved this artistic aspect of them. Right? What do they represent in our society? You know, guardrails, miles and miles. Well. It represents a lot of dead bodies, is what it represents. <laughs> you know, it's a little dark, but... It's something I can honestly say I've never thought of. Well... Like, I've never thought about the artistic value of guardrails and the dead bodies that they symbolize. Right, well, have you ever... Like, I've spent a lot of times looking at dead bodies... Yeah, I think you have a reason. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you have a reason for thinking that, and so someone like me who hasn't been at car wrecks or thankfully been involved in a car wreck. It's not something I've even thought of. But you know? one of the things I love philosophically about guardrails is I love how they're designed, right? If you look at them, they're designed to break and fail and give, right? But they're like, uh, I can't remember, you know, there's multiple different types of strain you can put on, a on something like one is tensile strength. One is compression. Uh, there's like a sheer strength. Anyway, they're designed to where if they're hit by a vehicle, they absorb the speed. So they, I knew that just from, I remember dad even always talking about it as an engineer, right? Everything kind of has to have a little give in it. So it doesn't just break. Mm -hmm. but are guardrails actually designed to break? Yes. Okay. Cause I don't, I don't know this. So this is the, this is the thing I also wanted to talk about. It's something that we drive by every day, but how often do you stop and look at it? Not but often. there's mo multiple different types of guardrails. There are steel guardrails, but there are also just the new type is just cables. And yeah, they're stretched really long. And then there's like little rods every so often. Well, all of those rods are set in concrete. But I'm sure that they have a certain shear strength to them. So whenever it's hit, 
you start snapping off these bars, but then the tensile strength of the steel clicks in and you're not going to go through those steel cables and they're designed almost as a shock absorber, Yeah, you know, but the whole goal is to keep the car from going on the other side of the highway and having a head on collision, which is more likely going to kill everybody. So I've always liked the guardrail just for what it represents, right? It's like this whole, uh, the quiet side of capitalism kind of, if you want to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. Well, to have cars that go 70, mile an hour, 70 miles an hour, you're going to have wrecks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are the safety measures you can put in place? Right. And it's a lot of the safety measures are pretty amazing. Like the, the guardrails of that industry have gotten better and better, even though we're still killing people on the roadways like crazy, you know. But most of the time, it's uh, like... You know, we actually live on a two-lane highway, a rural highway that has no shoulders. Really, likelihood of dying is probably going to be on that road versus, like, the interstate. You know, the interstate's a lot less likely. Well, when you're on a divided highway, I always feel a lot safer. Exactly. It is, and it is a lot safer. You feel a lot safer, and it is a lot safer. Uh, So, but I've I've always liked this, this idea because you look at something like that, there's maybe a way of making it pretty, but it's almost so industrial in nature that, that that's why it's pretty. That's its aesthetic, right? Like when you look at a guardrail, I don't think that a, uh, like the architect had much to say about it. It's sheer engineering, right? It's like we need to figure out a way of putting up miles and miles of guardrail for an affordable price how do we do it let's go to the engineer he says what do i need here's the bare minimum all right let's do that and that's what it looks like that cable's incredibly effective you know but one of the things like whenever i'm driving back and forth between benbrook uh now i've there been accidents on that stretch a bunch and i now i have a snapshot because they don't ever fix these things quickly so if a guardrail is hit, you can see the it remnant. Stays like that. You can see the remnant of it having been hit for a long time because it takes some, the state a long time to circle back and fix those. And, you know, of course I have a lot of time as I'm driving, just sitting in the car, and I'm thinking about these different things. And one of the things that uh, kind of became apparent to me was that the convenience of modernity brings with it um, literal death, you know? So, like, the convenience of being able to drive in a car at 70 miles an hour, right? You got everything from Navy SEAL trained, you know, or CDL individuals, right? All the way down to, like, soccer mom, who only had enough time to get one contact in this morning and is yelling at kids in the backseat. You know, all of those are all on the same, you know, road. Um, And so how do you decrease death like through that? But there's just going to be a certain amount of like collateral damage just through the fact that it exists, you know, that convenience exists. Well, and I'm a a big believer 
um, in the philosophy of like equal good, equal bad, kind of like the series of unfortunate events touches on. Like if you introduce something that has 10 times this potential of good, it will equally have 10 times p- this potential of bad. Right. Like what, whatever exists can be both good and bad. Well, and it's, it's almost they, like a, um, it is both good and bad. It's Everything almost is. like if you think of, okay, like a, a circle, but like, let's say it's like a, like a rubber circle or no, a perfect example would be like a racquetball, you know? And if you take the racquetball and you pinch down on it, so you're bringing the top to the bottom, it gets really fat on both sides, you know, around it. But if you, you know, you, that's what happens, right? So if you think of that in the in the term of good and evil, that it's one whole circle, right? You've got two halves of a circle. If you pinch down on it, both are going to become elongated at the same amount. So it's going to, yeah. it affects them the same way. There's or, nothing that is entirely good, nothing that is entirely bad. Right, and it's, it's almost... There isn't there is an aspect I feel like of Western civilization that does address that. Um, you know, the Christian, I'm thinking, you know, sort of pragmatic. There is like a rejoice in your suffering. There is a acknowledge the universe that you live in and be present in that. And yeah. and within that is, you know, some difficult well, I feel like this is actually very Eastern, and I'm just not very well versed in it to oh, be able to talk yeah, on it. Yeah. But yin yang, yeah, yeah, yeah that very much. they all they coexist, mm-hmm. and you know, there's always the cliche like you don't have the good without the bad, right? But I think the Eastern uh, philosophies take it much deeper. It's always hard because you know if somebody were to like say to me, "Oh, the reason that I don't believe in God is because of all the suffering in the world." it's very difficult for me to blame any of that on some sort of God when in reality, it's the fact that we want stuff on Amazon and that we want fast food or that we want faster cars. Well, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's like, well, if God is um, responsible for these deaths, is he responsible for the car going 70 miles an hour? Right. It is just an interesting philosophical question. It's I always think of it, um, you know, recently, as, as our kids are growing, as they're getting a little bit bigger, they start to have possible lines of future that they could go down, right? They have possible life paths that they could lead. And for instance, let's say we buy Emmett a dirt bike and he comes to me and he's a, he's hot. He's hot on that dirt bike, right? Like he's really good. He gets really comfortable. He wants to race. I know if I put him in a race, he's going to be the fastest in that race. Am I willing to risk, you know, 35-year-old Emmett um, having a bum knee to let 13-year-old Emmett? A, a bum knee would be fine. I'm just worried about death. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm saying death, too. I'm saying death, too. I will risk a bum knee, but I will not risk his life. Right. And I feel like I'm a very low-risk person. I don't, I mean, obviously you have to let people do things, but there's a lot of things that, to me, just aren't worth the risk because there's obviously dangers that happen in absolutely everything. And, you know, why? I'm not going to go jump out of a plane because I'm just not going to win. Like the the joy or the reward is not worth the risk Risk for reward, me. Yeah, yeah. Your risk-reward ratio is off. Yeah. It's a little different. 
Well, so one of the things that this really got me thinking about, have, have you ever, are you familiar at all with the speed racer, like world universe? The Only the tiniest bit, just from what you have shown me yeah. and your Halloween costume. That's yeah. about it. Yeah. So that was a funny, uh, I was, I, st- I stood in a spot in the Amarillo Goodwill and within a step in every direction, I had a complete pretty good looking speed racer and it frustrates the heck out of me because we go to this goodwill it's my idea you're always a little iffy about goodwill i think you're fine with it but you're always like i don't want to go do that and i'm like no i need to look for my halloween costume i go in i spend like an hour and come out with nothing and within five minutes you have a perfect costume everything fit you everything looks looks great great. oh Anyway, I've, I've always had a love for Speed Racer ever since I was a little kid. Like, I remember my mom coming home with the VHS uh, cassette, you know? And I remember plugging that thing in and watching it a bunch. Well, one of the, the things that happens in the cartoon Speed Racer, the original one that I watched, was this, <clears throat> this guy's son is killed in an automobile accident. So he revolts against cars and he only rides horses around and he's always like yelling at people and he's mad at the world for using cars because that's what killed his son. Now you can see the obvious con like conflict between him and speed racer who is a car racer. Like yeah, he's trying to go as fast as he can in a car, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just thought about bringing that up cause it kind of seemed to fit, you know, the, the guardrail, the, uh, the modern conveniences, the speed brings with it. Um, what would the word be like the speed, the convenience brings with it, the risk or the, you are introducing more risk. You're introducing more risk. And so the modern lifestyle has created hazards so the, the guardrail, the traffic being an example of it. But there's a whole lot of other hazards that our modern lifestyle has created that I think is becoming like hyper apparent now that it wasn't back in the day. And I think of things like uh, isolation. I think of um, things like, you know, how, how mobile people are today. Like there's a, there's a good chance that if you're not really trying to go out of the norm that you just walk from your house to your car, maybe from the car to your office, you know, like you end up walking barely any throughout the day. So your body is like not being moved. That brings with it risks, you know, like there's all of these different things that while I do love a lot of the conveniences I don't know if it's a completely conscientious exchange of, you know, what we're, what we're exchanging for what we're getting. I think food's a pretty good example. Go on. We can have some amazing options of food, like literally go to the grocery store and look at what we have. That is incredible. And I don't know if most people stop to think about how many choices we have, you know, like rows and rows and rows of food. And the convenience of it, right? Like, I can literally just drive through somewhere and pick up food for my whole family for not much money. Right. It's, it's on one hand, amazing. And then on the other hand, what is it? I mean, 
You're eating you're, a lot of processed food. Yeah, just by the nature of what it is, it's processed and probably not the best food for you. Probably not the best for the environment. And you're spending money. I mean, you're you're. It's costing probably not something. the best for the local economy. You know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so uh, engineers respond with harm reduction techniques. And so I was kind of, it's, it's really apparent. This part of what I was wanting to do on this episode is we're going to discuss this. We're going to break it down, get somewhere. All right. But it's easy to see with the highway example of, oh no, an unintended consequence we must respond to that unintended consequence or there will be public outcry. You know, there's be public outrage. There's moms all over the state of Texas who are like, make our road safer. You know, my son died because the roads are not safe. Make the road safer, you know? So the engineers respond to that, right? The state's like, hey, make the road safer. Like, what, what's it going to take? Oh, it's this. Ooh, that's too expensive. What else is it going to take? Uh, this, this. You solve the problem, right? I wonder, like, so what are some of these other hazards that modernity has created? And then what is the response from our society for the harm reduction? I mean, again, so I think the food one I mentioned is the first that comes to mind. I think what we try to do for harm reduction is pharmaceutical companies well that's what i was gonna say is like uh instantly i started thinking of the opioid epidemic in america and how that is a convenience right if you have surgery or you have some sort of an injury or you're in some sort of pain it is really handy to be able to take a pill and alleviate that suffering yeah but then whenever that elite, that convenience can then become a hindrance by yeah. becoming something that you are then reliant upon. Um, and then it, that actually has a whole lot of side effects like opioids specifically. You can't poop, you know? So like I've gone on a lot of medical calls on people who are having gut pain cause they haven't pooped in two weeks or something like that. Like mm. crazy, you know? But like, I'm taking them back to the hospital because the opioids that they were taking stopped them up so bad. And then you end up getting into this crazy game of like, you're trying to fix things with the pharmaceuticals that the pharmaceuticals are causing, you know, it's kind of a downward spiral. So drugs, that's a great example of, of, uh, so like, what would you say now? I would probably make the argument that there has been no harm, mitigation technique um for this problem for which one the pharmaceutical problem for like the pharmaceutical problem because think about the psychiatric drugs just they've just recently kind of come came out and were they're not exactly sure that what they said that they were doing in the brain with these uh ssri blockers they're not sure it was working or sure that they were even doing what they thought they were doing. Like they don't know. Yeah. You know, it's all been an experiment. 
Yeah, I think that's been the most unchecked one is pharmaceutical companies because there's no one to really check them. I think there are more local people who do try to step up and introduce new things, like more natural ways of going about things. But at large, I don't think there's anything truly um, mitigating the pharmaceutical companies' harm. Well, you know? and see, it's like... I think what what's one of the things you have to identify the harm before you can mitigate it, right? So like for instance in the automobile example, you have a car barreling down the road, right? It's really obvious what the harm yeah, so is. Yeah, that's a very obvious one, like it's and visual. And then so then you can very specifically tailor a engineered fix because the harm is so apparent, right? Yeah. Now, it's really difficult to identify the harm in opioid addictions, alcoholic addictions, just addictions across the board. The fact that, um, you know, as as I grow older and I just look at myself, I kind of start to realize that I've in many ways been programmed as an addict from a very young age, just with TV... And people were saying that it was happening. Like, I remember whenever I was a kid, people would say something like, you know, TV will rot your brain or whatever, this and that. Oh, my brain has been rotted. It's like, well, I've watched a lot of TV and now I carry around a TV in my pocket. I was going to say that's actually a great example of something else that presents really great rewards, but also really great risks. Right. Yeah. I was going to say the phones and technology itself is kind of, it adds this convenience layer, but it also... This, we, um, I believe we are a unique species on the planet in the fact that we can lose an aspect of what we are based off of the choices we make. So, for instance, I can't ever really imagine our, uh, what, Great Pyrenees, what what other... Gosh, now that you say that, I might be able to think of it. Anatolia. Anatolian. Anatolian. Something like yeah. that. Anyway, our dog, Murphy, he's a he's a sweetheart. If you have not seen him, check out our podcast or our uh, Instagram because he's up on there. He's a, a cutie. But um, I can't really imagine him ever not being a dog. Right? No matter what decisions he makes, he's always going to be a dog. I don't know. You say that, but our other, our other dog, Honey, is very much like a cat. That is true. That is, that's true. Maybe it's not the best example. But, you know, I feel like as if if we spend too much time on our phones, we lose an aspect of what it means to be a human. Well, right? I think a really good example of this is take cell phones, just not even the internet or anything, but like cell phones. Obviously, they're, they're amazing because you can get a hold of someone anywhere, right? Mostly anywhere. Instantly. And instantly. And that is good. Like, there's a lot of times that that has come and, like, like that is, that's handy, right? That's really good. On the flip side of things, there was a time when you left work at 5 o'clock, let's say, if you just have a traditional job, you were home. And your boss wasn't going to call your landline, probably. Or, or if you were out and they did call your landline, you, you didn't hear it until there. you got home. And so now... You know, I, I have read an article about it where your your bosses can reach you 24-7. And you're expected to yeah, be able to be reached. Yeah, you're expected 24/7. to respond. 
24-7, even now with emails, right? You can check your email mm-hmm. at home. So why aren't you checking your email at home? Right. And that's hard for companies, I think, sometimes to understand. And you have some companies that are good at it and some that think, I sent you an email and I don't care if it's after hours. Right. I know you have a phone in your hand. And so now we just have this constant expectation of always being available. Mm. So. Well, and you know what that got me thinking about as you were saying it is like, okay, imagine, imagine it's like 200 years ago and we just sold the family business on the East Coast with dreams of going westward, right? And so we buy a wagon, we get our, we get our, everything that we want to take out with us and we just strike out west right and the whole time we're running all the way out no communication you set up you build you do all this stuff you take certain precautions right if we're planning that trip and we know that our limitation is that we're not going to be able to get a real super steady correspondence you plan accordingly right Well, now I know I've heard different people talk about different generations, but now it's almost like people do not make plans. Yeah. They say, well, you let me know when you're doing whatever it is you're doing. And then I'll decide. And I'll decide and I'll just shoot you a text if I decide to come or not come. Which, you know, like, like my mom would say that, that she would have to have her date planned two weeks in advance just to make sure it's a, it's planned. Right. And and then you you agreed on it, and that was that. And it's like, hey, I'm at the movies at 6 o'clock, and if you're not here... You have no way of telling me. Yeah, you better you be no, here. Yeah, you better be here. You, and know, you can't so just bail. She never understood in high school when I was making plans or going on a date, and it's like, well, where are you going? I don't know. Who are you going to go out with? I don't know. I, I got to wait. Nobody's texting me back. Or, you know, whatever. Right. It's just such a different aspect of it. It is such a different aspect. And see... And so putting that through the through that lens, you know, like what about our humanity? Like imagine it uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about I thought was a little bit relevant in this I guess I kind of missed it cuz this has to do with drugs, but have you ever heard the um experiment where they put the the rats and they gave one uh, option of hitting cocaine, yeah, water, I think told me this before. and there was another water, and then they put another one. Anyway, the one that was always left in the cocaine water would overdose and die off the cocaine. Well, the the thing did the experiment didn't take into account the nature of rats, right? Rats are actually very social. They're very intelligent. They're very busy. They like to have a lot to do. Like they have to be very uh, active uh, in order to be happy with being, you know, rats. And so the second that they put the experiment, they did the same experiment, but they they didn't isolate the, the rat and they gave him a big habitat and they gave him other rats. And he would like, there was like a certain percentage of the rat population that would become addicted to it. It was like pretty low amount, like 5% or something like that. But all of the rest of the rats would kind of hit it occasionally, but most of the time they weren't worried about it. They were doing their own thing. They weren't. They didn't have a problem with it, you know? And so it's kind of one of those, you know, I think that our addictions 
the reason that they haven't been addressed, the reason that there's been no harm reduction is because it's actually good for the dominator culture. I don't know. I'd argue against that because I think therapy has become ten times more acknowledged or utilized than ever before. Yeah, because 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 they're going so crazy that they can't be used. I'm saying that they're like I'm saying that I feel like there is a range of crazy that they want you, right? Maybe, but I'm not trying to go down a conspiratorial No, 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 right I'm now. not trying to go down a conspiratorial route. I'm just saying like it kind of goes to the to the old point from like Pink Floyd of all we are is just another brick in the wall. You know, well, yeah, they want us to show up at our jobs and do the work and go home and not revolt against society. Exactly. Right. It's like this little bit of like a give and take, you know? Yeah. And so I think and by not revolting, we get to have access to food and water and homes. Right. Yeah. It's a reciprocal. Yeah. Reciprocal nature. Um, And so let's see. Do so. I thought one that's supposed to be a guardrail. Uh, or is actually designed like a guardrail is like our healthcare system. Yeah, I think that's what it's meant to be. It's a guardrail. It's like, hey, when you're about to die, you hit this thing and maybe we'll bounce you back and you won't die. You know, a lot of people think it's maybe the road itself, you know, but it's, it's more of a preventative measure that is really catastrophic in nature. Yeah. Or it's really good at the catastrophic and nature things. Yeah. You know? Like they can, if you're having a, an appendix rupture, hey, you want our modern healthcare system. Oh, yeah. You know, um, if you're having voices in your head, you might not want the modern system. I don't know. You know? Therapy. Well, I'm saying, <laughs> like, imagine if you had a voice in your head and you lived during like, uh, Hebrew times, like Probably ancient be a Hebrew prophet. times. That's what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> right? They they had a mechanism where they were like, "Hey, little Johnny, uh, you look like you're talking to yourself." And he's like, "Well, I'm not talking to myself. I'm talking to the voice in my head." And they'd say, "What is that voice saying?" And he says, "Well, it's it's saying that Israel's gonna fall in 40 years." They'd whisk that kid up and send him to a monastery and get him with the monks and say, figure out what this kid knows, you know? Instead, today, same little Johnny at elementary school, they maybe whisk him up and throw him on some drugs or uh, treat him as if he's a broken thing, you know? Uh, So I just wonder if maybe there are... I wonder if... Other societies, you started off at the beginning of this talk about saying how it seemed kind of Western or uh, Eastern in nature. Some of the ideas kind of seemed Eastern. Um, I'm wondering if there are harm reduction techniques that other cultures or possibly even our own culture have developed that actually mitigate the hazard. This feels very surface level to say because I think it's the most obvious one, but I think of yoga. Mm. But I think that that, especially in Eastern practice, is supposed to be used uh, medicinally. Like, I mean, I don't know. That sounds dramatic to say that. It's not meant to be just viewed as like a quick workout. Hey, I'm just going to be stretching my workout in. 
Like, that is a huge aspect of it. It is good for your body, and it's supposed to be good, like, for your mind to meditate. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's, and there's supposed to be the spiritual aspect of it as well. Mm -hmm. So I think yoga is supposed to be a time that kind of brings you back into yourself. Right. Same with meditation. Just, right. I think, and again, I think Eastern practices do that more. Right. Yeah, so anything that kind of, which it's, it's cool because I think a lot of those type of practices, although they seem, they are, I don't know, very like, you know, self-servey. It, sometimes I get that feeling like the self-love, you know, like love. I think in our culture it comes across. Oh, I know, no, I know, I know. But, but I don't that's, think that's actually how it is. But that's what I'm saying is when you honestly actually engage in an activity like that, uh, it almost takes the focus off of yourself. Yeah. You know, well, you almost start to see how you're engaging with your, wor- with your world a little bit more clearly. And that's what I was going to say is I think, let's say you go to a, a gym down the road. And I mean, I like gyms. I'm not opposed to them. But you're trying to lift weights, and in doing so, you're completely neglecting your mobility and your flexibility, and you're, like, destroying your knees, you know? Like, you're actually hurting yourself in this attempt at maybe it's pure vanity. Maybe you are trying to be healthy. Who knows? And so that's where I think something like yoga is a lot more holistic, and it's trying to address all of it and not just one single thing. Mm Mm-hmm. But then again, I'm no yogi, so I can't like speak right, on right, it. Right, right, right. It's it's more of uh, an idealized uh, stereotype, maybe. Well, I almost think the American gyms are more of an idealized. Like we're trying to go get this idealized workout in. No, no, I'm just talking about like the ideal yogi, like that idealized yogi, like the person who stretches and breathes and is a sweet person. Sure. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I just mean, I'd, I think, like, for example, I want to go work out. And I, I, I want to be healthy. I want to look good. I want all of it, right? And so I think sometimes, like, hey, doing yoga feels counterintuitive. Uh. Not that I think it's bad, but it's like, hey, I can go lift weights or I can do child's pose. And in my mm. head, it's like, well, I'm going to go lift weights because that's going to make me strong. And it is. But then you see those people doing those handstands. And oh my gosh, like it is impressive. And then whenever you ask him like, hey, how do I do that same handstand? They say, can you do child's pose? Yeah. You know, and you're like, wait, what? So I think it's just approaching your body completely differently. Right, right. I apologize to the listeners for the occasional trucks driving by. It's a beautiful day here in Stephenville. And uh, we have all the windows open, so we got some nice. I know. I thought of that. I wonder if the birds come through. Oh yeah, I bet you can hear some birds on this on this recording. Uh, See, that is part of modern society. We have a podcast, but you hear the cars on the podcast. Yes, yes, that that's messing <laughs> it up. Uh, we don't have any guardrails in place for that. So one of the things that I this is a just another one I wanted to muse over and play around with because I haven't had enough time. Like we actually haven't. Most times we sit down to record an episode, we've like mulled over the idea multiple times. Yeah, I feel like I'm coming in this one completely blind. Yeah, honestly. this one <laughs> I kind of threw together in secrecy. You know, maybe a little bit, a little bit of seclusion. You just told me you want to talk about guardrails, right? Which I didn't really know what that exactly encompassed. I do have a thought that I'll get to at the end that it made me think of 
But yeah, I didn't prepare anything for this. Right, I right. I, I didn't know. Like, was I supposed to go research guardrails? Well, <laughs> the no. history of. Yeah, I don't know? know. I mean, it was. It is meant to be a kind of uh, uh, just a conversation. Yeah. Um. But one of the things, like, you know, I'm pretty heavy on the libertarian side and would uh, possibly identify as like an anarchistic libertarian, you know, or a libertarian anarchist. Um, in, in so that I believe that the actual closest way to liberty and freedom for an individual is through um, small, democratic, decentralized means, right? Anytime you build a structure where people start having power over other people, it will instantly become corrupted because now people are ruling over other people and it's, it's a hard thing to, to try to figure out. But a lot of people resist me on, on my stance, you know, and a lot of the times what people argue is for like, well, they argue for law and order. They say, well, who's going to keep people from killing each other, right? Then they also argue for stuff like the banking system and larger structures like that. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And so what I was wondering, in, in my opinion, the way that it sounds as if these people are arguing is that the banking system is a guardrail. Okay. You know Which what I'm saying? I, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm processing it. I definitely see that. So the car, yeah. Because I think I would be someone arguing for the banking system. Right. But and I think even for all of its negatives, it has its positives. But see, I would almost jump to the other side of it and say that you have the Federal Reserve and the international, what, what is it? I'm thinking there, there's like an international banking like the foreign exchange? No, it's or? like the IF. Oh, I don't know. F or something. Anyway, anyway, you have these large structures, right? And you have these large banks. And the system makes it to where the banks can make all of the money by holding the money and then doing like fractional lending on top of that, you know, so that they only have to hold back a very small portion of what they lend out. So they're like making tons of yeah. money on interest, on money that they don't ever have never have had and recently we've seen a couple of banks go under yeah. and kaput and really the entire american economic structure is a house of cards you know relying on all this stuff that i don't understand it's way too far over my head but like the petrodollar are you aware of the petrodollar no so it's kind of interesting but i guess years ago america made a deal with saudi arabia that anybody who bought oil had to buy the oil in dollars. So if they had a yen, they had to take the yen, convert it into dollars, and then buy the oil with the dollars, you know? So it was the petrodollar. So the dollar always had this backing because it was like kind of the reserve currency in the way that you get oil throughout the entire world. Um and so then that allowed the Fed to do these like weird things. Well, to me, it's not really a guardrail because it seems to be the thing that causes the danger, right? The, the run on the banks and all that stuff. A run on the bank would not be that big of a deal if they didn't have the fractional lending. The You know what I'm t talking about? Yeah. So if I couldn't 
take a hundred thousand dollars from you and turn around and lend a million dollars to somebody else. True. I mean, I get what you're saying, but on the flip side of it, I get to go to a bank and take out a loan and buy a house, do a home improvement loan, buy a rent house. You know what I mean? Like then it does give people the options and maybe those are imbalanced. And I'm not saying that I agree with all of it, but there are positives to it. So I'm yes, I'm not sure. Like I said, this is all a discussion. But <laughs> when whenever the banking system came up in my mind, I wasn't sure what spot it took in the analogy. Because a guardrail is there that if things get out of control, it's gonna catch you. It almost seems to me like the bank is the road. Or the bank is like the fuel in the car or something like that, right? It's like or the gas pedal. So how far are we going? With I don't this know. Analogy? I don't know. I'm trying to get there. But what I'm saying is it's one of the passengers in the back. It's seat. the thing that allows the car to go faster. Right. Okay. And so if the bank is the thing that allows the car to go faster, then you need a higher level of guardrail. Right. Like the guardrail right now is designed for a car to hit it going 70 miles an hour. Right. What if we accelerate the car to 300 miles an hour? Well, we're going to need a completely different guardrail. And so that's what I wonder is like whenever I came across the banking system, it almost seemed like it was the teenager on the gas pedal pushing the car way beyond what is safe and way. It's a drunk driver. Well, yeah, drunk driver driving really fast and taking extreme risks. Don't and like, drunk drivers usually do that? Yeah, they do. Yeah. And like they're throwing money out the window, whatever. So I don't need drunk drivers that just throw their money out the window. You don't? I mean, I guess I don't know a whole lot you of drunk drivers. You haven't met the right drunk drivers, <laughs> babe. But anyway, um, I just thought that that was interesting. And and then I didn't I didn't want to go this deep down into it, but I was almost wondering where like something like debt fit into our, our modern banking system. And, you know, the whole idea of the guardrails was like one of the things that I wanted to start talking about what I actually think are some of these like metaphorical guardrails. Like one thing that I feel is a metaphorical guardrail is uh, one parent being able to stay at home when you have small children um, for a lot of different reasons. It's kind of interesting because... I agree with you because I stayed home, right? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of other women who say the guardrail is working. Right. You know, because they need to make sure that they can provide. Right. Or they're like, if, if, if their husband cheats on them, they're not left with nothing. So it's, it's almost like that is really dependent on the person. Right. For us, the guardrail, guardrail was me staying home. Right. Well, and I mean, for me, like I even see other families, like I have seen a it's not as uncommon as it once was for guys to stay at home and the wife to be yeah. making the money. And a lot of the times whenever I see those type of guys or I see those women who are take it seriously, who are, who are like, this is what I'm contributing to the family. Those kids have such a head start on everybody else. Cause I mean, I'm talking, um, there are some moms in Amarillo who like, I remember seeing at different places and they bought, into it they were on board they understood the assignment however you want to say it right they were at discovery center every tuesday morning they were at 
Spanish lessons at two thirty on when they're this, they're this, they're doing all of this stuff for these kids, dragging them all over the place. These kids um, get a ton of experience and and just a huge head start on exposure, right? Maybe they're maybe they're uh, losing some stuff in other ways. Anyway, all I'm saying is. As we're viewing the world, I think most of the time we don't identify what is actually dangerous to the kid or to our, even ourselves, right? I might, I might say, I might say, um, my riding, uh, mountain bikes is the most dangerous thing I do. And then I get hit like walking across the street at a crosswalk because I'm not yeah. paying attention or something. It's like, really, what is the most dangerous part of your life? Um, where was I at with that? I'm not really sure. Okay, I think that you were taking us somewhere, but I, I, I don't know where you were taking us. Where was I at whenever I... You were talking about our metaphorical guardrail of me staying home. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, just, just mostly saying that... Um, so let's imagine a scenario where they built a guardrail in on this section, right? Or they're planning on building it in on this section. And a week before they build it in, uh, a car cruises right off that edge and flies and tumbles down this hill and the guy ends up dying, right? And then that next week, they, the crew gets there, they put that guardrail in. You know, and that guardrail now isn't hit for six years, right? But then when it is hit, it prevents that thing from dying, mm -hmm. right? Or that person from dying or, or big time injury. Um, having, having the guardrail in place is probably never going to be apparent, the safety that it that it sh that it instills, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you if won't you can, need it every single day. Yes, yes, you may only need it one time every ten years. Exactly, but when you need it, it needs to be there. That one time, yeah, right. That's that, and that's what every parent's like biggest nightmare is in the world is that one time mm -hmm. that that guardrail isn't there. You know, whenever yeah. you need that thing there, like it's like the helmet. You know, like we, oh, uh, yeah. We, I've always been pretty uh, proactive on helmets and pretty pro helmets, you know, bike helmets and stuff. And uh, just the other day, Callahan's cruising down the freaking driveway. Luckily, we made him put his helmet on. We made everybody have a habit of putting their helmet on. And the little dude goes right over his handlebars and has a huge scuff on his helmet. Like, that would have been his skull bouncing off rocks. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, good guardrail. And so that's what I'm Maybe saying. Maybe the whole title of this episode should be helmets. <laughs> Instead of guardrails? Yeah. You got to put on your helmet. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, it is. It's one of those things like that. That's what I'm, that's what my, I, my thing was, is like the benefit to it is so. Uh, or seatbelts. We can call it seatbelts too. Well, seatbelts. I mean, uh, engineered safety yeah. devices. Um, but you know, that that's basically the idea that I was wanting to get at in this. Yeah. Or like was to discuss through is uh, technology increases uh, danger to eliminate it. Yes. You know, and so uh, I did think of like the, the back to the future jump, 
you know? I've never seen Back to the Future. So in it, they're they're trying to get him back to... Back don't spoil to, it for me. I don't... <laughs> I don't feel like that's even fair to say the movie's been out for like 40 years. But um, anyway, they're, they're doing this final jump to try to get him back to the future, right? Because he's in the past. He ended up jumping into the past. So he's trying to get back to the future, but they don't have the energy source that they had from the future. The only way that they can generate it is with a lightning strike. Well, how can you predict where lightning strikes? Just so happens that the clock tower stopped when a lightning bolt hit it. So they know exactly when a lightning bolt hits it. Hmm. It's kind of an interesting plot. Yeah. Line. Anyway, you have to be driving the car at a certain speed when the lightning bolt hits in order to jump, make the jump. You know, if any of those things go wrong, then you're dead. You know, it's kind of the idea is you have to go and do something that's extremely dangerous and ex- extremely fine tuned. And if anything goes wrong, you're dead, but you have to do it. So it's just kind of humanity in general. It's kind of humanity in general. But I, I think I think the more convenience, the more we want, the more materialism that we strive for, the more dangerous that our environments become in the sense that. Not that what I always think is interesting about the guardrail is it's made for the person that makes a mistake or that a mistake happens, an accident happens, right? And so you can't design your, and what if you designed your society instead of not, instead of having the thing to prevent the accident, you just have the elimination of the accident? Well, the thing is, is that everyone's going to make mistakes and you will have accidents. Right. It's impossible to design a system that's going to take but see, away any accidents. But see, this is my thing is, right, so we know that is part of the human story. Mm-hmm. So now let's take that person and accelerate them to 80 miles an hour. And that's put why you have in, guardrails. You know what I'm saying, And seatbelts and airbags and right, everything right, else. Right. Yeah. It's just, I wonder, you know, we're running out of time on the episode. But I, I do wonder what the application is, you know? Well, I think if we have a few extra minutes, because, you know, I said it made me think of something. Right. Which I had, I I think, told you a little bit about it the minute you told me about guardrails. Because I think there are some very practical applications of guardrails, like the literal guardrail. Then, like you said, all this societal stuff. But then I think on the flip side, there's a lot of, again, like the metaphorical guardrails. And so I was thinking about relationships Mm. because I have a friend who, when we kind of entered into friendship, she said that we are all going to make mistakes. So I need to know that this is a friendship that will allow for mistakes. Because if you're a type of friend that's going to leave the minute I make a mistake, I don't really want to have a friend like that. So we both agreed, like, if we want a lifelong friendship... And you, you like leaned in and said, no, that's what I'm here for. I love it when people make mistakes and I I love to gloat over them. Oh, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'll tell you exactly what you did wrong. No, I live for that actually. Can, can I, can we just be friends when you're making mistakes? But any relationship, whether it's a marriage or a friendship or a parent child, like there's going to be mistakes because we're human. And if we have zero guardrails in place where it's just like, oh, well, we crashed and burned and there's no repairing this because we thought we would never make mistakes. Like Mm -hmm. you almost have to enter into every relationship 
With some sort of guardrail, right? Like knowing that. Understanding the harm. Well, and the it, risk, right? Like. Like. Um, or the hazard. The hazard. Yeah. That, well, that's like having kids, right? That yeah. both of us have said is like, you know, uh, before I had, before we had kids, like, I guess I could have died for you or you could have died for me and we would have had this like hard, really hard loss. Right. But I would have gotten over but it. But you would have gotten over it. I, I mean, would have gotten yeah. over it. But kids, you don't come back from that. Right. Kids, it's like a different sort of uh, exposure. You know, yeah. you're exposed to a different irradiated object, you know? And yeah. so it, it leaves a different mark, a different burn, a different residue of, of mm-hmm. being applied. And so, yeah, for sure. That's a, that is an interesting... You know, and I, I do think that that's one of the signs of our generation, like a lot of people not getting married and not having kids, is it is very scary to expose yourself to that. You know, oh, to yeah. put yourself in that You know, situation. there's a lot of marriages that will crash and burn, and that's really sad and really hard. And a lot of people, I mean, that that's a huge risk you take whenever you completely share your life with someone, you know? Right. So that's why you have to put up guardrails to try to make sure you make – this marriage or any relationship works the best of its ability to the best of its ability. Is that all you had to say? Yeah. It just, I didn't have anything um, huge about it. It was just, that's what it made me think of is more like these metaphorical um, guardrails. And basically the idea that we are designed to crash to a certain extent, like there's no avoiding it. If you are or not designed to crash, we're you expected crash. to crash. Yeah. We're designed to not die. Yeah, sure. You know? Yeah. It's like you're expected to crash into the guardrail, right? It's designed to mitigate the the damage yeah. that's done to your body, not to your car. You know, I was going to talk about, like, even in cars, there's crumple zones and airbags. Yeah, they're designed belts. to completely crash to keep you safe. Exactly. Yeah. And so it, it's kind of funny that really one of the most lethal aspects of our society in some ways is the most sympathetic to the damage that it causes on us. You know, it, it is at least like, Hey guys, we at least put airbags and seat belts and we're helping fund guardrails and we're doing crum- crumple zones and we're doing all this stuff to try to keep you safe. Whereas, like, pharmaceutical companies are just like, no, nah, man, take the drug, dude. You'll be fine. We we actually uh, upped it a little bit this time. So we actually made it a little bit a little bit more potent. So, uh, But anyway, um, <laughs> yep, so that's, uh, that's 54 minutes. That's about as long Pretty as... Pretty good, yeah. yeah. So it, do you have any final thoughts? I don't think so, because like I said, I, this was the first I'd heard of most of this topic, so I don't, I don't know if I had anything necessarily. Yeah, my my thing is, I'm not necessarily advocating for no conveniences. I'm not like, uh, you know, going Mormon uh, that direction or anything, or what is the Nazarene, where they like don't use Amish? any Amish, yeah, different religious uh, extremists. Who probably aren't listening to this podcast if they're Amish, I guess. But, um, you know, I'm not saying, like, let's just get rid of everything. I think it's just know what risk you're taking. I'm just saying acknowledge when you're driving 70 miles an hour down the road. Yeah. That 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 with it comes risk. Are you putting up the guardrails that are necessary? 
uh, are and yeah, are you erecting the guardrails? Like we always that that could be another interesting question. You know, is like, are you designing your life to where when you crash, going however fast you're crashing? You know that. You're- oh, I know, and that's what back to mind thinking about relationships. It's like, do you have a support system? If you're in a relationship, do you still have friends? Or well, you know I started what I mean? thinking like, about like Jeffrey Dahmer. When you start hacking people up in your in your apartment, you, there's not really a coming back from it. Geez, <laughs> you know yeah, I, I feel like that was a giant jump. <laughs> I just meant if like you're in a relationship mm. and you go through a breakup, do you still yeah. have your support system there oh, to help yeah. you through it? You know, I don't. Well, there's a lot. I of don't people, know where chopping I, people up got into. I this. I do <laughs> know a lot of people who have stayed in a relationship for a long time because they couldn't really imagine what their life was going to look like outside of that yeah. uh, circumstance that was a result of that relationship. And I think of it too with a lot of moms, you lose your identity and your children and then they leave you. Well, you hope they leave you, right? You want them to leave you. That's the goal. And then mom, a lot of moms don't know what to do. So it's like you almost have to have that guardrail in place of like, what can I do to prevent this from being just a complete disaster when my children leave for college? Right. You know? Yeah. It's guardrails. So yeah. everybody uh, get you some. Or helmets. Or helmets. Or airbags. <laughs> Engineered safety devices. Yeah. That's what we could call it. That'd actually be kind of fun. Like confuse everybody. Yeah. Engineered safety devices? What is this about? All right. Thank y'all for listening. Peace. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the D Program Podcast. I wanted to jump in real quick just to say if you did like this episode, if you would subscribe or follow or share or however you do that yeah the best case scenario would be that you tell a friend Uh, we want to grow the audience and we're trying to dial in get a little bit more professional uh, get a little bit more focused Uh, I think what we're going to do is we're going to switch the name of the podcast so we're going to go from the D program podcast to the Curly Cultivation. And then the theme of the podcast is going to, I won't, I wouldn't say, I, the interesting thing about this project is through the years, it's now been, I started this when Emmett was born. So uh, six years ago, set, coming up on seven years ago, the whole time it has uh, continually evolved and changed. And I always wanted to have a podcast. My biggest problem was I never had a specific topic to to speak on, you know, because I'm not necessarily an expert in anything. I mean, I, I am an expert. I would I'm a professional firefighter, uh, but I didn't never I never really wanted to have like a podcast about that, you know. Um, and then I've been quasi good at all these other things so I could never really have a expert podcast uh so to speak but I love talking and I love thinking and having nuanced thoughts and kind of engaging those thoughts with other people to try to not necessarily challenge my thoughts but like help me develop the thoughts Uh, a lot of times whenever I'm talking through something I am thinking it through at the same time which maybe comes through in some of these episodes I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing it's just the way it is but the new goal for the Curly Cultivation uh, the new project is going to be that we Shannon and I are going to center it a little bit more on farm 
things, you know, like this episode specifically was, or as an example, was about guardrails. And I don't know if we explicitly said it during the episode or not, but part of the reason we moved from Amarillo to Stephenville area to the farm was in a type of searching for a guardrail, so to speak, from society, right? We kind of felt like a lot of things were out of control or out of our control. And so we were kind of like, okay, well, where can we get to where, not so to speak, if we crash, like the analogy doesn't necessarily fully transfer, but, you know, we wanted, we wanted there to be a buffer, you know, and that's kind of what we see as the farm, you know, is this rural living, trying to grow more of our own food, trying to get more connected with uh, agriculture, I think, trying to understand a little bit more of that side of, of our economy, which Shannon, neither Shannon nor I, nor I grew up in necessarily. But anyway, we're really excited and we really hope that you join us on this uh path you know as we develop this new idea it's really not a new idea it's the same it's going to be the same type themes we're just going to try to center it a little bit more uh, around family and around the farm it'll still be nuanced thoughts like our next one might be what is trash like our next episode and you know a lot of the times you see a pile of things and your initial thought when you look at it is, wow, look at all that trash, you know? But I always think it's kind of funny because, you know, throughout most of human history, people didn't have a concept of trash. There wasn't this thought of like, we're going to throw things away and no longer use them. It was kind of like, no, we're going to recycle and we're going to reuse everything we can, you know, because they didn't have an industrial mindset like we do now. So that's just kind of an example of something that we might uh, approach. Um, But anyway, I just wanted to jump in right here at the end of the episode and say, first off, a big thank you for listening to the episode. Uh, And uh, hopefully just stay with us through the rebranding. It's going to be essentially the same show. I think our new tagline is going to be, it's going to be the Curly Cultivation Cultivating Conversations, you know, so because that's really what the goal is. I like putting these episodes out. And I like when people listen to them and then they come at me with their own thoughts. That's what I really am searching for and trying to figure out how to uh, how to facilitate because so far each of my friends that have listened have given me like not only good like criticisms and critiques but have also given interesting nuanced thoughts that I didn't think of. You know, so kind of I started them down a road of thought process and then they like continued it, you know, and so it's really cool. That's what I'm really looking for is I want to present an idea such as the guardrail, like what are the guardrails in your life or do you set up guardrails in your life? Are there are there things that, you know, can, um, you know, not necessarily keep you from dying, but like in ensure that you are thriving you know i don't know it's kind of an interesting it's kind of fun to to play around with with those type of ideas but this uh really my desire has always been for it to be a little bit more of a two-way street you know starting a uh community that can then 
talk through some of this stuff because it so often, at least I've found this with myself, it seems that it's very easy to get caught up in all of these cultural norms or um, hegemonic ways of thinking and you kind of forget that you know you're allowed to have your own thoughts and you're allowed to have questions and you're allowed to look at something and be like well that doesn't really make sense uh, I wonder if it does make sense to anybody else so anyway I definitely feel like I'm rambling a little bit here at the end but uh, I just wanted to mostly just reassure you that if the Curly Cultivation pops up in your in your feed, it's the same podcast we're just trying to consolidate, mostly for the website. Uh, up until really January, this was, uh, although Shannon was like participating and she was part of the, the project, she was, you know, sitting in on the recordings and contributing quite a bit. She wasn't really working on like the website and stuff. That was all like me, and I'm terrible at that kind of stuff. So uh, now she's also terrible at this, but now we have at least two people being terrible at it. So hopefully we'll get it figured out. The whole goal is to really get the branding for the podcast and the branding for the website like dialed in to where we actually have a something that we can present, you know, because. The whole goal is, you know, I, I want to be successful with this endeavor, which in this direct instance means people listening, right? That's that's one way of, you know, measuring the success of these episodes. It doesn't matter if we're putting out great episodes if nobody's listening to them. Um, so anyway, uh, thank you for listening again. I'll uh, stop rambling now. And uh, just until next time, uh, peace out. <laughs>